0: greetings from the editing booth folks with a quick disclaimer the internet gods did not smile on us during the recording of this episode we had some technical difficulties that led to some audio issues i've done my best but i apologize in advance if the audio
1: quality lags a bit here and there okay disclaimer over let's start the show when you have more than two lawyers everything becomes harder
0: It's time for Arrested DevOps, the podcast where we help you achieve understanding, develop good practices, and operate your team and organization for maximum DevOps awesomeness. I'm Bridget Cremut, and with me today,
2: I'm Matt Stratton. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about DevOps in large enterprises with Brian Lyles. The show notes for this episode can be found at arresteddevops.com/enterprise. But first. A word from our sponsors.
0: Arrested DevOps is brought to you by Tenth Magnitude, a company that figures if you're listening to this podcast, you must be pretty cool. Tenth Magnitude empowers businesses to better collaborate across teams and achieve IT transformation using cloud. They enable customers to innovate, automate, and accelerate by leveraging the power of Microsoft Azure. You can find out more at ArrestedDevOps.com slash Tenth Magnitude.
2: This episode is sponsored by VictorOps. Built for modern incident management, VictorOps provides a unified platform for real-time alerting, collaboration, and documentation. Driven by your IT and DevOps system data, VictorOps helps you respond to incidents more effectively so you can minimize downtime and make being on-call suck less. Visit ArrestedDevOps.com slash VictorOps to schedule a demo or start your trial. Mention that you heard about VictorOps here on Arrested DevOps, and you'll be eligible for some sweet discounts too.
0: This episode is also brought to you by Datadog, a monitoring tool that helps bridge the gap between operations and dev teams. Datadog brings together system metrics, changes, alerts, and events from over 70 common infrastructure tools such as Chef, Docker, and AWS, so that dev and ops teams share their key data and alerts in a single place and collaborate on issues in real time. Datadog is available for a free 14-day trial at ArrestedDevOps.com Datadog. This is actually exciting, and we shouldn't cut this out, because I went back and looked. The first episode where I was an actual co-host um, was one where we were talking about DevOps in large enterprises,
2: but the yeah, one was different. it was also when the Goat Farm podcast was launched. Exactly. So, so
0: yeah, it's so very exciting. So today's guest, I am really excited. Uh, Brian, do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself?
1: All right. Well, I'm Brian Lyles. I'm in the... DC area. I I wouldn't consider my job a DevOps job, but I have a lot of what we might consider DevOps components. Um, I've been I've started out in over 20 years ago as a sysadmin. I've done security, I've done networking, I've done development, a whole bunch of different languages, and now I've ended up here as a director in engineering at a largest bank, not a large one are much larger.
0: <laughs> no, what I think is really great and really funny about that is, I think when I met you, you were at DigitalOcean, which is probably the opposite of a giant enterprise.
1: So, yeah. So um, I've, I've always wanted to do a whole bunch of different things. And really, the, the appeal of DigitalOcean to me wasn't really the hot startup. It was more of um, how can I get down to the basics of where I started? My first job was at an ISP. I worked at one of the biggest. Um, one of the biggest hosted providers. I worked at the company that created the term application service provider, which is, you know, the precursor to SaaS. Nice. So this has always been where I've been. So I, I actually heard it about DigitalOcean on hacker news. And I'm like, Oh, this is cute. And <laughs> it kept on moving. And then it just got to be a position where they're like, you should come work for us. And I interviewed there and I, and I stayed there for a few years and, and overall it was hugely possible. It was uh, not the, uh, it was hugely positive, and I, I'm really thankful for the time, but it isn't where I wanted to end up, and um, so I did move on because I really wanted to do something that was much bigger than anything I could do by myself, and working at a bank is one of those things.
0: And that I think that that's huge, and that's really key to a lot of the people who listen to this podcast and come talk to Stratton and myself and Trevor at conferences. They work at, you know, some place that they didn't find out about on Hacker News. And maybe it has a lot of legacy. And they think, well, those those places sound fun and cool and they're doing great things. How do we do this stuff at our giant enterprise? And, and that bridging that gap, like helping people see how they can bring all of the exciting changes that they hear about, you know, on the interwebs into their giant enterprise is why I'm so excited to talk to you today.
2: You know what's yeah. interesting that I've seen over the last couple of years is how that question has changed. So a couple of years ago, the question, I don't even want to say it wasn't a question. It was a statement. The statement was DevOps won't work at big corp period. Now what's happening is we're hearing how can we do that at big corp? And that is such a fundamental foundational philosophical shift that's super important, right? Like we we to be able to go from the because once we believe that we can do a thing, we just don't know how to do it. We'll do it. Yeah, but as soon as I we still think know, you're oh, missing work, <laughs> then we're <laughs> well, still think-
1: missing something. Though I, I still think we're missing a big part of it. So how is is easy. You go read a book. You can learn how. Um, the problem that people realize is they, are, they they see what Google is doing with their SREs, they see what um, Dropbox is doing with their SREs, they hear about DevOps at such and such company, but you know what? They always miss why. Why did they have that solution? Why do they need that solution? And I think that a lot of teams need to actually sit back and look at is why. What are the what are the issues we have, and then figure out why this DevOps work for me. And I'll say in a lot of cases that you know there's a lot of DevOps principles that most likely will work for you but you need to understand why because if you don't you'll never understand what success looks like and a lot of teams seem to skip out on that and I'll tell you um, even at big orgs we have DevOps teams at Capital One and they do and and we're big org um, we are we are there's a lot of people I can't even tell you who work here and, and I'm not talking about how many people work at the bank I'm talking about how many people work in tech. I will I will say that it's the biggest chat platform I've ever seen. When I look in our um, in our source repository, it's pretty big. There's a lot of code going on here every day. So there's just so much. But we need to understand, even internally, what DevOps means. And whenever you have an old-school team where you have a whole bunch of developers who hack, 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 make great products, and then they toss, toss them over the wall to ops, um, that didn't work. So now we have brought in these teams of DevOps people who are really focusing more on CI/CD, but that's not even, you know, that's only like a, like a tiny smattering of what what DevOps is. There's so much more. So,
2: yeah. I think that's and there's to unpack that. So what what I'm seeing a lot is that it's it's getting and even the outcomes are maybe even being understood at the very top level. You know what I mean? So like you know, some big muckety-muck at Chef or Pivotal or whatever goes and talks to the CEO of Big Corp and the CEO goes, or the CIO goes, yes, you have sold me. We talked to these big, broad strokes about how transformational this all will be. We are going to DevOps all the shit, right? And then that message never makes it all the way down, right? Like, and then you've got the boots on the ground who are like, oh, well, we have a DevOps initiative. So I guess that means we need to like install Puppet. Right. You know, it's they're back to the like on all of Reddit where DevOps means system automation. Right. They're like, I then we need to do those things. And like you said, we're missing. And the good thing, maybe not the good thing, but I, I, it reminds me of something. Uh, Jez Humble was speaking at a meetup in Chicago a while ago, and he said, The good and bad thing is I'm going to have a job for life because nobody ever gets this. <laughs> He's like, I will always be able to be telling this because there's so many people that just don't hear it. But it's like the, the kind of the, the, the good thing is we're starting to understand that. And also what I'm starting to see, and maybe it's been going on for a while, but it's specifically happening to me, is those higher or leaders in the organizations are bringing in people like Bridget or myself or, Jez or anybody, right, to say, you know what, come in. I don't want you to come and talk about Chef. Come in and talk about these principles of DevOps to our town hall, so people understand the why. Right.
1: So that's the most important piece, and and we we talk about this, or we can get down into the the chef versus puppet versus salt versus Ansible discussion. We can get into the Jenkins versus I'm using GitLab CI thing, or Circle CI, or or CodeShip, or whoever else, or Travis, or whoever else. And that's like those are. Those are fun, and I think we talk about those because we like cool products. and And I know um, you had the founder of um, of Honeycomb on last week and talking about observability. You know, those are all super fun things to talk about. But really, we need to back up and from a and especially from like a CIO's position going down to their smothering of VPs and the VPs that work for those VPs and the senior directors and the directors down to the actual workers what we really need to do is work on focusing on those ideas of, of, CI and CD and logging and monitoring and all these other great things as principles. And then once we understand them as principles, then bringing in tools, like we, we think that declarative infrastructure is a great idea. We shouldn't, we should start with that conversation rather than bringing in the, Hey, Terraform's cool or we're on AWS and we're going to use CloudFormation. So those are actually, that's like the encapsulation things to developers. We hide all those things. So we really should be talking more about these fundamental these fundamental um, techniques like um, CI, CD, uh, declarative infrastructure monitoring and logging.
2: How do you pick your CI tool if you don't know why you're doing CI? Right. Oh, you so don't
1: know. Bring back to the why. Well, you know what? <laughs> well, at at, at Big Corp, they'll just tell you that as an organization, we use Jenkins. we decided to use Jenkins, yeah. And, and then you and figure have, out how to
2: hammer around it or you... Yeah, that's... (laughs)
1: And we have a team that does, and we have multiple teams, you know, we might have 20 or 30 people working on Jenkins as a a shared thing, but what gets lost in that conversation is, first of all, why are we using Jenkins and are we actually using Jenkins for the process of using Jenkins or are we using Jenkins to help ship code? And I think sometimes, especially, and this is no fault of our developers and I hate to I mean, I I am a developer, too, so I I hate to ever talk bad about developers. But sometimes developers are just given the problem of solve this thing with these constraints. And when it comes to running it in ops, they'll say, well, nope, someone else handles that. And they actually are just brought up that way and trained that way. So what happens is is they write these things, and they just want to use these tools so they can work on the next feature. They don't even care about anything else. And I think that's a big loss, and I definitely see it in these big companies.
0: And I think when, when you're when you're talking about a large company like that, isn't that one of the risks of trying to scale up this sort of transformation is people end up having their little territory or their little fiefdom or their little thing they want to make decisions about. And fitting that into the larger picture is significantly more work than it might be in a much smaller org.
1: So what you see is that um, really, at, so at a larger org, and I, here's my disclaimer, I am a director of engineering at Capital One. But I am not speaking for Capital One. I'm I'm only working at Capital One. So sure. what I'm getting ready to say here is not Capital One's position. But really, what it what I and and what we like to see, or what I people that think like me like to see, is that it's more of from the strategic level. So you know, your directors, your VPs, your 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 CXOs, they should be talking about strategy, and they should be talking about the this is where we need to be. And you let your your practitioners. So you know everyone who isn't one of those people actually figure out how to get there, and as long as you have that feedback loop, things should work. so what happens in these orgs is that you know um, these products are expensive Terraform and the enterprise probably cost a lot of money. GitHub and the enterprise cost a lot of money so there are so what happens is, is because of the dollar amounts um, these 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 higher level People need to get involved, but they need to realize that they're only there for the financial support and for the where we need to be support. So whenever you learn how to divorce those two things and you have established that trust, then you actually start seeing that synergy work. And I use synergy non-ironically.
2: Um, yeah. I, I just noticed that. No, it's totally true. And <laughs> I want to think back to something Andrew uh, Clay Schaefer said it is. Um, last week was DevOps Days Denver. And in his keynote, he talked about something that, coincidentally, I was talking about later, and it made me feel really validated that my, I wasn't completely full of horseshit. But <laughs> it was, like, all back to, and something I've, I've, I preach to my customers all the time is outcomes are all that matter, right? I don't care how you got – and that, that can happen at a macro level and at a micro level, right? So the outcome is – and I think, Brian, that's a lot of what you're saying. What are the values? What are the things we're trying to accomplish? What's the outcome? The tool we use to so get there –
1: I'll add one more thing. It's not just outcomes. It's repeatable outcomes. Right. Mm-hmm. So if I was able to do this on
2: Tuesday, I better be able to do this on Wednesday. Correct. Correct. Um, not that you need me to tell me that you're correct, but I mean, that's that's <laughs> that, that's a, that's a very yes. I that, that does not conflict with what I was saying. but like I'll give the example. This was what my talk was about a little bit is we think about all these ways we're going to keep people from doing something to be secure. And the reality is we're going to get into this arms race of trying to think of, like, how to keep them from doing A, B, and C. And they're just going to do X, Y, and Z because they're on A, B, and C. But really what we want to do is make sure that the outcome of A, B, C, and X, or X, Y, Z is not something, is what we want. And as long as we're always thinking about the thing we want and is the outcome that we're, the thing, because outcomes represent the values of our company and the needs of our company, right, is the outcome that we want. And we could take this all the way back to the Allspot talk at Velocity in 2009, right, where everybody missed the point, which was everybody just looked at the – they didn't understand – I shouldn't say everybody because obviously a lot of people got it, but many people went back to, well, how do I do that, right? Oh, okay, where's the button for – oh, that's cool. You do 10 deploys a day. How did you script that? Which was yeah. the outcome wasn't that they had uh, that they were able to do a deploy quickly. The outcome was that because there was understanding – they had high trust, and they were able to do it safely. But we, yeah. we still get wound up in, because we are, whether we're developers or sysadmins, like you said, we have that engineering mindset of I have to solve a problem within what I believe are the constraints that I have, whether they're real so, or imagined.
1: So that's an interesting thing. Um, I, I, first of all, I will say this, that um, constraints are an amazing thing. And, and for everyone who's working at a startup that says, you know, these problems would go away if I just had more money. Um, that is the most naive thing. Because I'll tell you what, um, and, and when you work at a bank, um, money is actually a different conversation. Um, think about it. And I don't even work at a large bank, I work at a, like the 10th largest bank. It's it's something we're like a Fortune 150 company. We're not even we're not Goldman. We're not Bank of America or anything like that. Yeah, but think I, about I it when the largest bank in the world at one point. So. <laughs> so so if you think about when you take so you're always looking for this next thing and, and people say well if I just had more money no actually that's not what you want and and because because I'll tell you I can see projects that have lots of money and that doesn't guarantee success. The real success comes from the constraint. You always got to have some kind of constraint. So if you have all the money in the world, you got to think about, well, can we reduce the time? Can we set up a hard deadline? Constraints are a great thing. And that's I think all the greatest problems that've been solved, and at least in the history that I can understand, only exist because of all these great solutions only exist because of constraint. And you look at the look at the the big the big examples in our, in our community. Like let's look at Google. We can look at Google as a huge success. Um, Google succeeded because they were trying to do this whole little ad thing, but, um, and they, but they were trying to do it with smart people. So they were trying to do less people, more money, less people, more money. I don't think Google. So imagine all the money that Google has right now, they couldn't start Google, Google again. And think about the same thing with, so if you take like the Microsoft to the Google, to the Facebook They all need each other. The constraints were that that big um, behemoth that were before them. So we need to take this down into what we're doing. So when you have a project, you need to actually start thinking about your constraints and you need to start optimizing around those constraints because those are where the best solutions come from.
0: And I want to I I ask, a, I hmm? wanna, oh, and I, perhaps you were about to give me, but I'm just jumping in because I want to ask, because I've seen, um, for example, a Capital One recruiter at DevOps States Philadelphia singing Filk to the tune of REM's It's the End of the World as We Know It. They saying this is Capital One 360, and giving this whole pitch about all of the great stuff they're doing in public cloud, like just to bring it to concrete. Um, if you're... Uh, Defining, like, we are going to change in this way. We're going to use public cloud in this way. We're going to transform our org in this way. How do those constraints help you get to your goals?
1: Um, so I, I give you a good example of, of how our, our constraints specifics here because I've been told not to do that. But um, bank, and we publicly said that we're moving into AWS, and, and we have a, a fair size installation here, but one thing that we find is that we run into um, all sorts of account limits. Like, I know how many VPCs can be paired. I, <laughs> I know how many, account, how many um, images you can copy across region at any given time. I know how many security groups you can have. And not because I wrote the docs, because we actually ran into it. So what it's forced us to do is actually become way more creative in our solutions around that. And because we've become – so, like, a good example would be copying images across accounts. Because, you know, whenever you're thinking of your small org and you need to cross, you need to copy an image from your, like I'm talking about an an AMI or an AMI, so you need to copy your AMI from dev account to production account because you tested it, that's not a big deal. But imagine if you had, and this is not our number, but imagine if you had hundreds of accounts and you can copy five at a time and you need to copy 40 images. And you start doing the math and you start realizing that your deploy of images not even deployed your software is going to take more time and uh, more hours than there is in one week. Then you, (laughs) then you actually start realizing, Oh, I need to get way more creative here. And I'm not going to talk about it yet. I'm trying, I'm still talking to the powers that be to allow me to talk about this, but there are way more creative solutions around that. And that, that solution would have never have come had I been able to do whatever I wanted.
0: Yeah. And that's a, and that, I think that's a great example of the kind of, uh, interesting work that's happening at scale in enterprises that you'll, you and perhaps some of your uh, teams will be able to talk about at conferences in coming years, is like, hey, we had to work around the either, you know, logistic or IaaS or business level constraints that we had. These are the solutions we came up with. I find those to be infinitely fascinating talks.
1: We've, and, we've and I'll give you that. one. That, okay, go I want to give you one. That, I want to give you one that I can talk about because it's open source. And, you know, big companies and open source, believe me, it's when you have more than two lawyers, everything becomes harder. <laughs> so if you have a team of lawyers, just imagine how big our team of lawyers is. I haven't met them all, but I know there's quite a few. Open source is hard for us just because of we're a bank, we're regulated by, you know, a whole bunch of three letter organizations and we can't lose money because, you know, that'd be bad because we're a bank. So we have lots of lawyers, but we do have this tool. So one big thing for us and you find in enterprises is governance. Um, we need to make sure that we are providing service and doing things at a certain level because government auditors are going to come in. So one thing that we did is we created this thing called cloud custodian. It's like, it's, um, it's, I will give you the URL at the end. I don't want to give you the wrong URL, but it's called Cloud Custodian. We'll put it in the show notes. Yes, we'll put it in the show notes. But one thing that allows us to do, and, and, we, and we've given this back to the community, is it allows us to, we believe in encryption at rest. And not only do we believe in encryption at rest, we believe in 100% encryption at rest. So we actually have built tools to allow for this. And we find that we're actually um, forcing clouds to be more secure, it just in general. And we built tools that if you, I did this earlier today, I booted up an instance and something wasn't encrypted. Got a nice email 30 seconds later saying, sorry. And then because, you know, I'm smarter than computers, I did it again. And I got another email. But this is the kind of tooling that only can come apart because, you know, a large organization had this problem. But this kind of tooling helps everyone because now we provided tools that allow you to say that, it will actually watch your AWS and determine if things are not running in the way that you want, or you're not encrypted or you're booting, you know, how many P2 images can your instances can you boot or, you know, that big one, the X one, how many of those you could probably just shut that down and make sure it never happens. So these are only, these are the kind of neat things that enterprises can bring to the table. And they can
2: go ahead. I was going to say, you bring it as the things that you're able to create and release back, but then also, for your vendors, like we start to hit customers like you. And again, you like, you have to deal with the constraint because you can sit there as an engineer and think like, well, here's how I think I would solve the scale problem. Right. Right. I don't actually have the scale problem you have. But then when I start working with you, I understand that. And like, and understanding like the ways that we might have approached uh, helping enforce compliance in an organization until we're actually working with a customer who has real compliance issues. It's all just like on a whiteboard, right? It's all just like, well, in my theory, this is what this is. But then you're like, and even based on my own personal experience from the past, kind of having that feedback loop, both through the open source community and through your vendors is something that's really powerful to be able to say what happens when that goes right. Like, cause a lot of this tooling we built around scale, that was a different kind of scale. You know what I mean? Like you could say, well, that worked totally fine for Facebook because they can, or Netflix because they can destroy things every five seconds and whatever. And you're yes. like, I have, I, maybe I don't have a exact scale problem, but I have a different kind of scale problem, right? I have to distribute right. to plants. You know what I mean? <laughs> and got, right. well, or I have, I have stores that are shipping medical data, right? And so I can't transmit data. Like, like, there's just all sorts of things that happen in larger organizations that don't happen in the software-only world. And we have to think of creative ways around those constraints, both as the implementer, the customer, but also as a person offering this, the, the, the product to say, well, we can't just be like, well, sorry, shruggy, you know, that's how it <laughs> works. I guess you better think of something clever because what's going to happen is someone else is going to think of the clever way to offer that solution because you're not, you're not the only financially regulated company out there. This healthcare company is not the only one. Yep. This retail company is not the only one. And, it, it, you know, you kind of, someone's going to be patient zero for Pivotal or Chef or whatever, and we're going to figure that one out. And then we're going to be able to say, oh, cool, we did this for these guys and this company that works that way. So we kind of know that works because you do have similar needs when you kind of group that way, right? The so so some, right. I somebody, somebody is else. the disruptor. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I'll, I'll tell you something else why we need enterprises. And I, you know what? I've worked for <laughs> 20 years before I actually put this together. So, so think about all where all those neat features come from. You do need, you do need a source of money for these neat features. And I'll give you a good example um, Terraform. Uh, Terraform and, you know, um, HashiCorp has done a great job with, with, with creating these products, but for them to do some of the amazing things, they're going to need a, they're going to need a money source because you, know, you can't live off VC dollars forever. So they need to work with bigger companies to get in there so they can actually bring out some of these more innovative features and come to find out, you go to any large enterprise, they're running everything. So they're, they're actually great places to think about whenever you have these types of new products coming out on the market. And that's why people go to enterprises for those kinds of things.
2: And it's also kind of a place where I think about it in you know from from my perspective of you know having spent most of my career as a sysadmin working for the big banks, the big insurance companies, all the kind of places you usually work in tech in Chicago, and leaving and saying I'm never ever ever coming back. Um, my experiences over the last couple of years have kind of changed my thought on that. And no, this is not me saying I'm leaving Chef to go you know work for you know aeon or something like that but like i had washed my hands of it right i was like that's the place that innovation goes to die because that had been kind of a little bit the case the last time i was there and i but being on the inside now of it seeing it you're like no it really is it just takes it's it's a little harder but the payoffs are so much better too right yeah we're we're a
1: big we're we're a big slow moving ship but guess what when we turn around <laughs> and we actually pointed a direction, you get all the force of that shift. You so realize it's, a lot of
2: water when you turn, you know? <laughs> yes, we
1: do. So people think, oh, I'm, I'm I'm, better, I'm I'm this, I'm that, in a smaller Agile organization. Yeah, you know, it takes us longer to get there because it's not because of, of this and that. The reason is it's because of the people problem. When you only have 10 people, the amount of conversations you can have is, let's say, you know, let's do the math. It's like 100 conversations imagine when you have 10,000 people and you have multiple lines of business, the amount of conversations you have gets very large. And that's what people are actually referring to when
2: they talk about the enterprise. Problem is, is that there's just more people and what we need to do. Isn't that also, that's also a benefit. I was just going to say the same thing, which is you can be in a small organization and have zero ability to affect change because it's a small thing and you're doing one thing. And if you're in a large organization, yeah, you're right. Like shuffling that change through the organization takes a long time because it's 10,000 conversations, but man, that's 10,000 conversations where good ideas can come out. of.
1: i would tell you the number one thing. The number one reason I really like working at the big company is um, we have internal tech conferences that are bigger than some conferences that I've been to. And they're not high level. Um, I would say that, we have some crazy machine learning talent here. Maybe, you know, we're not, we haven't created a floor or anything like that, but we got people who can use it and they will talk about it and they will, we have an auditorium here in Northern Virginia and they will fill that auditorium up with Capital One employees. And the neat thing about these kinds of talks is that they can talk about whatever. And you know how people are like, I'm being kind of guarded right now when yeah. I'm talking about, they don't have to be guarded. They can actually talk about the nitty gritty. We use this and such and such model and we're doing this and getting this from x and y customer
2: and, and it's and it's pretty neat that that we have that but you can only have that in big orgs. oh you know how much i'm dying to get into those talks like i have a customer a healthcare customer in the midwest who again their their tech conference is bigger than every single devops days that's ever existed combined probably and all this stuff and so like we'll sponsor it and they'll be like great you can go sit at this table and then they're <laughs> like oh hey my one buddy over here is giving a talk on ci can i go see it nope <laughs> and you're like ah because it's right. it's it's a really powerful thing and it's when the organization has made that choice around the community that they're doing um internally that you're trying to build that brings that ability to do that and I think I think that's a really spot on observation that you have that scale of bringing all those smart people together and and not having to like play that where it's like, well, can I get approval to go to Velocity and now I have to come back and do this? And knowing does it necessarily apply? I, I imagine also without talking like politics, it's probably a lot easier to get a lot of your employees able to participate in something like that than to send 10,000 tech people to Velocity. Yes, that is correct. And I mean, I will be speaking at Velocity this year, so you should go we'll talk more <laughs> about that later. <laughs> I'll get to velocity eventually. I don't I, I just feel like maybe now it's become kind of a joke that I haven't been there and it would be weird. <laughs> hey, that's cool. I was super excited. Like I live my life talking to the enterprise, you know, like because all the cool startups, like, they don't want to talk to me. Actually, I'm sure they would, but to your point about someone's gotta fund this, right? So think about Chef. Like, I mean, we love our open source community and everything like that, but the open source community doesn't, you know, put a DJ on stage at ChefCon. You know, right. Or or more to the fact, doesn't fund our ability to have growth and investment in features and things like that. So just so that we're clear, we love all the people because we're chef and we hug people, right? But mm-hmm. one of the things I, that, you, that I'm really passionate about right now, and it speaks to something you were talking about, about the needs for governance, is when I'm seeing – and also when we talked about how we're seeing these shifts, right, of how the enterprise is looking at DevOps – today versus a few years ago. So the first thing is let's all temporarily mourn the term enterprise DevOps and be glad it died and let's hope it never happens again. You know, um, I don't know how familiar you are with, with that nonsense, but there was a fleeting moment right before Doze was a thing where there were some folks who thought that there was a whole different way of doing DevOps just for the enterprise. Um uh, That's silly. Yeah, basically what it was, was was DevOps without the culture, was the idea. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, no. no, no. So I'm just saying, so let's just all agree that we're never going to do that again. Um, Right. But what I've seen over the last few years is the entry point of DevOps into an organization has shifted or can shift. So, like, when I started doing this, it was very ops. Like, usually when you're kind of coming in, it was usually thinking around operations or dev. We come in one way or the other, Right. And what I'm seeing is where the vast amount of new entry point into an organization around these, whether it's the tooling or even just the ideas, is actually around security and compliance. Yes. Because when InfoSec people get this, they adore it because it's so, you know, it's like exactly, it's sort of this, okay, this is this thing I've wanted all along and I just didn't know how to like say the words.
1: Yeah, and there's a few people in that space, and and we we hopped in that space. I think I I personally think that our open source is better than a lot of these commercial software, which you know is shows that we really do care about open source. But you know, doing governance and compliance is hard. Sure, when you have one server, when you have you know many more orders of magnitude more than that server, it becomes very 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 hard and and it's not just the actual process of of remediating whatever you decide is against your 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 problem. so rolling that up showing it providing the visibility and then being able to trust your process that it actually will scale with you as a business and and we ran into every single one of those problems and and that's where a custodian came out and and actually show that, hey, there is a viable marketplace for some of this. it's interesting that this piece of open source that we created inside of our company could actually and I think there is at least one company that's actually out there trying to make a market about it. Mm-hmm. it. great for them because guess what you know we do compliance because we have to, but it's not our business. you know our business is making money with financial products and and, and here's the best part about being in tech in a financial company. I know nothing about money. Yeah. I know how to spend it, and then I know that it comes in my bank account, and I know that my capital and credit card works. But, you know, past that, I can add and subtract. But past that, I know nothing about how we make money, and that's another great
2: place part about working for a company like this one. It's interesting because I had the same thing when I was at uh, Chase where the only time I actually understood what the line of business that I supported for the last three years did is when I was updating my resume because I wanted to leave. And I went yes. and looked on our, like, little internal web page. I'm like, oh, $1.3 trillion a day in wires go through these systems that I manage? I'm really glad I only learned this now <laughs> because that would have freaked me out, right?
0: I would love to chat, Brian, a little bit about that really interesting Twitter thread that you had with Alice and Kelsey and a number of people about the changing role of apps. Um, like, what does, especially in the context of, you know, a large org and all of the, it's 2017, Things are different than they were when we all started devopsing or whatever. Can you, can you talk a little bit about your, your thoughts on the changing role of ops in this kind of brave new world?
1: Yeah, I'll preface it by saying one thing that I tell everyone that I work with and who works for me is there's two Brian's. There's Brian, the worker, <laughs> and there's Brian, the person. Um, Brian, the worker, can do things wrong, but that does not mean that Brian, the person, is necessarily a bad person. So, and I, I use this when I approach ops, because what I'll say is that, you know, there are some bad ops teams out there, teams that refuse to get any better, teams that refuse to change with the times, teams that only want to look at the problems and focus on those problems rather than focusing on the solutions. And those are the teams that are going to actually go extinct and who need to go extinct. And that's actually how I approach that conversation is that, you know, there are bad ops teams and i know that's not the same as being a team that is overloaded mm-hmm. bad ops teams are teams that don't want to get better and i'm and you know i also understand that a rebuttal can be well we want to get better but we can't get better so i will actually bring into the whole brand's pers- uh, responsibility principle is that you know what you are responsible for yourself you are responsible for your output if you cannot affect change in your organization, unfortunately, I'm going to tell you, you need to quit or you just need to go find something else to do in life. And those are tough words, and they, they're, but they're not hurtful words. They're, they're words of love and etherement. Really, what I'm saying is that you shouldn't be in a place where you can't make positive change at the point where you can't make positive change, you should leave. And really what I'm looking for from ops teams is that realizing that, hey, you know what? Velocity is increasing. Dev teams are developing bigger, faster, more complex things that need to get out there, that have more users, that have more security vulnerabilities. And if you're just sitting on the sideline saying, well, um, this is too hard, guess what? You're going to get passed, and someone's going to come behind you who's probably going to be younger. And they're going to take your job, and then you're going to complain that, oh, well, you know, now young people are taking my jobs. I'm <laughs> over 40 And you know what? I can see myself doing this for a long time. And the reason why I can see it is because I realized that times are changing. When I first got into this kind of market, um, we had physical servers and they ran Sun OS (laughs) for BSD Sun, not not even that crazy Solaris stuff that we just finally got rid of, but BSD Sun.
0: Hey, Paul, pour, pour one up for SunOS four one three, and I've got some good memories of those.
1: Days. Hey, I I will go. I will I will one up nerd you and say that Sun actually built us a four one four when I worked at yeah, no Digex. I know
0: I know four one four was theoretically a thing, but you know.
1: Yes, so you know this. You know this is like the nerd nostalgia. But really, what I'm saying is that we've come from there. You know these old Sun pizza boxes to now where. A lot of places aren't even running their own servers. They're they're running on someone else's custom hardware and data centers somewhere, you know, is it underwater? I don't care. Does it work? But <laughs> we gotta think. We gotta think that this is what this is how it's changing. And what we need to do is if if you can't solve the problem in front of you, so you know, ops is hard, guess what? You need to do you can do fail and run away, or you can change the problem. And I, and I tell ops teams this, is that you need to change the solution. If your dev team is not working with you well, and they're just throwing things over the bridge, you need to go go read the SRE book. And I'm not really advocating for the SRE book. I think it's good in, in parts. But really what I'm saying is there's parts in there where they talk about, and what you can use is use those tenements of production readiness, and you tell your dev team that with your requirements, you have, I mean, you have your business requirements, but you also have your production requirements. So if you can do these things and then tell you how you do these things, it'll be a much better relationship. And in a lot of cases, these dev teams are reasonable. They just don't like hearing, they don't like hearing that your stuff is broken all the time. Yeah. And, and that's what we need to fix. And you know what, this is just one solution. And what I'm trying to really tell people is that we're looking for, the harder solutions. We're looking for a new ways to look at the problems. We're looking at two plus three is five, but we're also looking at three plus two is five. And then we're jumping into like multiplication and we're we're moving we're moving variables to different sides of the equation to try to make it work right. And that's what you're doing as an ops person. And it really at the end of the day you could just say that I was the adult and <laughs> and I and, and I'm and I'm the person who's going to be owning the change, you know I want to own the idea of change for the positive, not all this, the, all the results, but the idea of it. Yeah. being Better. And that's all that I, that's everything that I try to contribute. That's all about just about being better.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's a really good point. And I think people who are trying to make this leap and I know we're, we're coming up on time here. So I got to watch the time and not go down this rabbit hole too far, but I want to affirm and agree with you that people who are trying inside their organization to get their ops teams to modernize, to get everybody moving towards the exciting future they want to have, um, I think it's it's really important. It's really necessary to get everyone to realize they can be empowered to change. And that's something I think that a leadership really, and you're in a position of leadership, yay, um, leadership has to buy in to making change happen.
2: I think that actually probably brings us to a good
0: yeah, that, that I think that you're right. I think that is a good place to wrap up. I would just love to give Brian a chance to um, give his, yeah, his concluding your... thoughts. Concluding thoughts, people who are at large enterprises and they want to change, they want to be as great as Capital One is these days. What's what's your best advice to them? Where should they start, Brian?
1: My advice to anyone to solving any problem is actually to distill that problem down to the basics. So you're not saving the world um, through curing cancer. So um, is you, what I can solve right now to make one little change. And from there you can start combining those together to make bigger changes, to making great change. So realizing that you are only solving small problems. So real From startups to enterprises, they're very similar. I mean, believe it or not, it's similar. I mean, we don't have all, actually no, we have great offices here. So I can actually say that our office is as good as any startups. Um, the only, the only difference is, is that you know there are a little bit more rules. Things are more rigid because guess what? More money's on the line. But if you're looking for a difference in work, enterprises are interesting. And I will leave you with this because you know I have to say this every time I come somewhere, is that I will say that working at a big enterprise is better for diversity. And I'm not saying that they are more diverse. What I'm saying is it's just more opportunity for women and people of color to move up. We have Quite a few, and not a lot, but more black VPs um, of something or another than I've ever seen before in my entire life. Nice. It's actually kind of nice. We yeah. have more women who are like at the SVP level, who are actually looking at women in tech. And you don't get that in a small company. And yet, you know, it's a small number, but guess what? We have it. Yeah, that's a good it's point. Like it's, it's inspiring <laughs> to me. And also, you know, I like getting paid every two weeks and not <laughs> worrying where my paycheck's gonna come from. And also, I just like meeting all these new people. So it's it's bad or don't try. This is where I'm going to be for actually for the more than foreseeable future. And I just like to leave everyone with one thought is um, what did you do yesterday? Um, Try to make it, try to make today better. And it's only a little change. And that's all we can do. And then also try to do something for someone that you didn't do something for yesterday. And if we all did that, life would be. So much better. Um, so can I? Fi- I'm gonna leave you with where can I find Brian <laughs> over the next couple of months? Well, I'll tell you. Um, so I will be at Monitorama in Portland
2: sometime in May.
0: Yeah, I don't know the dates. I think and it's May twenty something.
2: Yes, and then I, I will be. T- a, I will be if at know like, Look and see when Chef Conf is because it's the same week. Oh, Which is <laughs> <laughs> why I will not be at Monitorama. Oh, I will I be at Velocity. A velocity. I'll be at Velocity in San Jose
1: sometime in June. I don't know when it is. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to go for con. I'm not going to speak, but I will get a soapbox somewhere where I can talk about Go. So that's where if you want to find me. And then also, I'm on Twitter with Brian spelled the right way. B R Um Don't follow me. I tweet. I'm all over the place. I'm a person. So I I tweet about tech and I tweet about other things as well, we'll my Twitter. I'll tweet about what I want. Um, so thank you for this. This was actually pretty fun. We should do it again.
0: Thank you. This, this was super fun. Um, and I know we had some audio issues here. I assume most of it's probably my connectivity. And now there's some sort of, I don't know, lawn mowing or something going on down there. I don't even know. I really apologize for the noise there. I'm going to mute and let uh, Matt give a few of our uh wrap-up announcements just so that my noise here isn't such a problem.
2: Sure thing. So a uh, couple uh, checkouts. So Bridget's checkouts were, so we have Chicago is uh, coming up the first week of May. Um, I don't remember the exact days, but Bridget's the DevOps chair. There's a bunch of awesome speakers and we will we be we will be recording like half a dozen Arrested DevOps episodes in one day. Because we
0: might go, we might die. It's possible. Yeah,
2: it's uh, I, I said to Bridget, I'm like, you wanna like trade off? Like you do some, I do some. She's like, no, this will be great. And I'm like, we'll see what happens at lunch <laughs> when we see how that goes. Um Bridget will also be at uh velocity San Jose whenever the hell that is but you guys all have Google so you know you can figure it out um, and I've got a couple checkouts that are not conference related but a couple things that I've learned about over the last since last time I was on the show which was painfully a long time ago for a host but uh, I discovered through someone telling me that github flavored markdown supports kind of disclosure triangles for details so if you're posting in an issue and you've got like a long stack trace, if you surround it like in details flags, and I'll post a link in the show notes, it lets that all collapse down. So it doesn't take up like the whole darn page. And I was like, that's super useful. Um, Self serving. So you may know that I really love the static site generator Hugo. It's what drives DevOpsDays.org. It's what drives the rest of DevOps, bunch of stuff. I wrote a Hugo plugin. i oh, sorry, Hugo plugin. I wrote an Atom plugin. To help make uh, Hugo work a little easier, so it styles like because you write all this GoLang pseudo pseudo Go template stuff, so regular Go stuff doesn't work right. So check that out. It's called Language Hugo. And I know again, like I'm always behind on what's cool, but GitHub has a tool called Hub, which which you wraps around Git and lets you do a lot of GitHub related stuff at the command line, like submit PRs from the command line. So if you're looking to automate things, so check that out. I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, oh, okay. So, hey, go to Chicago is May 1st through the 2nd, and if you want to uh, register for that, the discount code Arrested DevOps will discount it some unknown amount. Um, I don't know, because it's not in my notes. And then if you want to go to Velocity... I
0: think it's, I think it's $75 off.
2: Oh, nice. Okay. Well, hey, it's better than... It's a discount. Uh, Velocity San Jose, the discount code... ADO 2017 will give you 20% off of uh, gold, silver, or bronze passes. Uh, We got some open CFPs. If you go to, as always, DevOpsDays.org slash speaking, you'll see all the DevOps Days that have open CFPs. One of those is Chicago. We just opened it. Go submit talks. And I will judge you, literally will judge you, because that's my job, is to judge your talks. Um, if you've got a conference you'd like to see promoted on this show, uh, we have this form at ArrestedDevOps.com slash I promise you if you fill it out it will come into my email box beyond that, we'll see what happens uh, yeah, go to arrest- read
0: it, I didn't
2: even promise I would read it <laughs> I just said it would come into my email box uh, if uh, you go to ArrestedDevOps.com slash enterprise, that will be the show notes for this episode, we get, we'll have a bunch of links in there um, You may or may not find that URL right away. You should. Uh, We also, on our site, we have the links to sign up for our newsletter, uh, support us on Patreon. Uh, If you go to ArrestedDevOps.com slash stickers, we have some new stickers you can get that I didn't have in our marketplace before.
0: Well, stickers...
2: I didn't even know this. I'm going
0: to have to go to arresteddevops.com slash stickers and get some yeah, myself. Yeah, you have
2: to buy them yourself, but <laughs> don't, we don't make a dime on it. It's basically just to make it easier for you to get a couple stickers. And uh, leave us a review in the iTunes store if you want to help other people find this podcast. It's one of the best ways that new people who are looking for DevOps podcasts find us is based on those reviews. So that's just podcast behind-the-scenes crap that nobody cares about but matters. So, uh it's yeah,
0: cool. But, but yeah, but thank you so much, Brian, for joining us today, despite my def- technical difficulties and deficits here. It was really great having you on the show. I'm Bridget at Bridget Kremhout.
2: I'm Matt at Matt Stratton.
0: We're arrested DevOps, and remember
2: there's always DevOps in the banana scene.